0: worship God through so many different ways as we sing unto Him, as we give unto Him, as we uh, talk to Him in prayer, and as we look at His Word. Well, this morning we continue our series in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. it really be helpful if you can look at the text. And if you don't, if you didn't bring a Bible or don't have it on your smartphone, uh, just grab a Bible around you. As uh, we begin this morning, I was thinking about how I might want to introduce this, uh, this particular passage, and I was just going to ask you a question. If, if you've ever... Uh, been in a grocery store or whatever it might be, and you've looked at some pictures of people in the magazines, and you think, well, how come, how come I don't look as good as they do? You know, you look at them, and man, they just look awesome. There's no wrinkles anywhere. They just, everything about them just stands out. And then you find out a little bit later that what you were seeing about a particular person, whether it was an actor or actress or some athlete or whatever it might be, some model, you find out that actually what you saw was not really what was actually there, What they do with those shots is they they take the person and whatever they look like, they improve what they actually look like. If they have wrinkles, there's no longer any wrinkles there. If there's something wrong in terms of what's on their countenance, if their nose isn't quite straight enough, they straighten it. and, And they make the person look better than they really are. And I thought they only did that with models, actors or actresses or athletes or whatever it might be. And then I, then I discovered that, that sometimes people will come up to me and they'll, they'll show me a picture. And, and I'm kind of amazed at how good the person is. And they'll ask me the question, well, do you know who that is? And I'm looking at it intently and I said, I, I really have no idea. And they say, that's me. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. You don't look like that. You know, and, and that can happen if you, if you look at a person with, you know, I'm really kind and gentle. I always never hold anything back. Is that you might have had that experience where you, you've seen someone and say, you look so much younger than you really are because they made them look younger than they really are. And, and you can get that done not only in glamour shots, but you can have it in just other shots where they can just touch you up a little bit. And, and um, I usually say that, you want me to touch, touch you up? And I said if you can make me look younger, you can do whatever you want. But as we think about it, looking at people that uh, we see and they're really not as good as they really look at, we're going to look at a story in the Bible in which it's not only a story, it's actually an event in which actually what you saw wasn't as good as what you really saw. And if you were with us last week and if you're not here with us last week, that's all right because I'm going to tell you what I talked to you about last week, is that if you look at any text in the Bible, it always has a context. And as we look at this story, which is uh, really a story that I could tell you in about five minutes, or I could tell you in about two hours and five minutes. It, it really is a challenge for us to look at Jesus as he really is. To, to see him, not like everybody else sees him, but see him as he really is. And if you remember last week, and I I mentioned it doesn't really matter whether you remember last week, I'm going to tell you what I talked about last week, is that Jesus asked probably the most important question you could ever ask a person, do you know who Jesus is? Or, or, or do you really know who I am? And he asked about the man on the street, and then he asked about them, who really am I? Who do people say I am, and who do you say that I am? Well, the first group of people got it wrong, and the people that were closest to him, particularly Peter, he, he came, out, came out with the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ of God. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of Man. You are the one promised to come. You are God become flesh. And I'm sure as he heard that words coming out of his mouth, he almost went, did I really say that? And you got to get it right about Jesus or you'll never get it right about God. If you're wrong about Jesus, you're going to be wrong about God. And so it is so important you know who Jesus is. But even as they said that, they, they kind of struggled with it because then when Jesus said what he was going to do, they, they kind of backed up and said, no, no you're, not, you're not doing that because you're the, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. you are got become man. And he said, I'm going I'm to suffer and I'm going to die. And they could not put that picture of Jesus... In that frame. And a little bit later, we're going to be taking communion, which is an object lesson. And Bill's the master of the object lessons when he comes up and preaches. But we're going to give you God's object lesson to look at Jesus as the one who suffered for you and died for you and rose again. And if you know Jesus, we invite you when we come to that part of the service just to come and remember Jesus. And it's a self-serving experience. You come to the table, pick up the bread and the cup and go back, think about who Jesus is, and then remember him by taking the bread which represents his body, and the cup, which represents his blood. But as they were struggling about what Jesus was going to do, then they were kind of even more challenged because, okay, this is what I'm going to do, but this is what you're going to do if you're going to follow me. And, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, and by the way, if you think you're going to save your life, the only way you're going to save your life is you're going to have to lose it. Because what is a profit a man who gains the whole world and loses his what? His soul. Oh, and by the way, when I come back again, and they hadn't even heard about that yet because that's the first time he talked about him coming back again. He said, and when I come back again, the people who are ashamed of me now, I'm going to be ashamed of them. And so even though you are ashamed because of your faith, don't be ashamed because it's a privilege to, to know who Jesus is and to follow him. To, to be willing to, to sacrifice, to suffer, to surrender, to save your life by giving it away, to be willing to be shamed for the gospel because, really, as Paul said, about, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God to save everyone and anyone who believes. Now, with now this as a context, uh, they are, pro- their heads are spinning. And I don't know if Jesus was speaking as fast as I'm doing right now, but it was the content of what he was saying that had their heads spinning. What have we just heard? And they're probably thinking, now, I know I got the right answer to the question, who, who is Jesus? But have you ever, ever given a response to something, and then after a while you had kind of, we've got buyer's you know, remorse. You, you buy something, you know, did, did I really make that large purchase? Can I, get, can I send it back? Uh, And and maybe as they gave that right answer, and they say, well, maybe maybe we see Jesus a little bit more than he really is. And and so Jesus makes a statement, which is the context, the immediate context of what we're going to look at. He says, oh, by the way, I I say to you truthfully. And it's always amazing to me when Jesus attaches the word truthfully to one of his sentences. Like, are you saying when you don't say that, you're not talking truthfully? Uh, Obviously, he only spoke truth. He was truth personified, but he was about to say something that was going to be hard to believe. He says, but I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not see, not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And really what he was saying, now you've made a statement about who I am by faith. Now, you've had that faith been bolstered up by all that I've done, all the miraculous things I've done. But but you probably are still filled with a little bit of doubt. You're still struggling with seeing me as I really am because what you see isn't quite that impressive. Have you ever had that experience? You may, maybe you, you uh, had someone you really looked up to. Maybe it was an athlete. Maybe it was someone, some actor or actress, and you saw them in person and <laughs> you go, Whoa, not that impressive. Maybe they're not as tall as you thought they were. You know, on the movie screen, they have them six foot five. You find out they're five foot five, and you're thinking, how can you be a superhero? You know, I heard Tom Cruise is kind of short. Have you heard that? Okay. Well, anyway, it, it is you get in that point, and you go, whoa. You know, uh, not not too impressive. So Jesus says, I'm 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 going to give a few of you just enough to make it legal. It takes two or three witnesses to really hammer something down. Is Confirm. I'm going to take two or three of you, and I'm going to give you an experience where you're going to see the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, he wasn't talking about the whole kingdom of God, but he said, I'm going to give you the glimpse of it because you're going to be in the presence of the king. And Jesus would use that sometimes. When you're in the presence of the king, you have a picture, a taste of the kingdom. And uh, again, I, I, this message could be an hour and five minutes or two hours and five minutes. I'm trying to give it in the time we have here. We, we could talk about why I believe right after this is the fulfillment of this. But what, what they experience is the, the confirmation of what they had said, and none of them disagreed with Peter when he said that, so they were all believing this, and two or three got an experience where they okay, I'm going to take this person who doesn't look very impressive, and I'm going to see him as he really is, without the touch-ups, but just the transformation that God unveils of who he is. So let, let's see Jesus as he really is, all right? So after he made that prophecy, that statement, he goes, some eight days after these sayings, and the other gospels say six days, but they weren't counting the, the, the day he said it and the day it happened, so he had the six days in between. It's, it's not a contradiction. He took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So the, he's going to give them a mountain-type experience. A lot of times when you go to camp, you go up on the mountain. You, I've had, we have some camps here where you go to the desert. It doesn't matter what the geography, but this was going to be an experience they were not going to forget. And, and while he was praying, and usually when something important is going to happen, it's, it, Jesus is setting the model, he's praying, he's, he's asking God the Father to make this all that it's supposed to be and really impress on the hearts of people what needs to happen. Uh, something happens to Jesus. The appearance of his face, we're talking about Jesus, became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. Now, when you first read that, that doesn't sound too impressive, but you look at the other detail of the other Gospels, they add a little bit to it. In in Matthew uh, 17 and also Mark chapter 9, it says this And after he prayed, he was transfigured before them. The appearance of his face was altered and shone like the sun. So it wasn't like he just had a little bit of a difference in his countenance, that he looked a little more cheerful than normal. His face radiated almost in a blinding light. And not only did his countenance change, his face began to shine, and his clothes became shining and glistening, exceedingly white like snow, as white as the light, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. So now this person who they had always seen, and he had done the miraculous, said the miraculous, and and uh, just challenged their hearts to the the deepest part of who they really were they were now seeing him physically different you know sometimes when um, people aren't very impressed with me i'm sorry i didn't put on my halo today you know it's not it's not shining there well what jesus did now he says okay i'm putting on my halo but way beyond the halo that we could imagine God the Father transfigured him. Now, that trans- word transfigure is a, is a beautiful word that we even use in our own language. It's the idea of metamorphosis. He was metamorphosized right in front of them. He was the one that didn't look very impressive. He was the caterpillar and now became a what? A butterfly, but much grander than we could ever imagine that to be. He was transformed literally. His face shone, everything was glistening about him, and it was just they were struck now, we're going to find a little bit later, they missed some of the beginnings of that because they were asleep, and we're going to see that a little bit later. But they, they, Steve, Jesus was still shining when they woke up, and he's going to bring some other people on the scene. But what I want to very simply say today, and this is really the whole point of the message, is that the challenge of the Christian life is, is to see Jesus as he really is. That's, that's really the Christian life. It's seeing Jesus as he really is, and because of that, it changes everything. It changes everything. Some people have said that the Christian life is in, has been tried and found wanting. And there are a lot of people who experiment with, with Christianity. But when they experiment with Christianity, they never really come to that point where they say, Jesus, as he really is. They, they see him as a religious leader, as someone who's kind of going to tell them what to do, the, the rules and regulations, but they don't see him in, as almighty God. And, and the creator of everything, the one, the one who's going to change him from the inside out, that, that can transform them. They, they, they look at it as some religious activity. and it's a relationship with the living God. They never see Jesus as He really is. Now, I, I want you to understand, when Jesus came here, there was express reason why he didn't come in all of his glory. Because he came in all his glory, people wouldn't really get the depths of why he came. Now, I just want to say this for free. In your bio study this week, and whether you're in a group or not, and if you're not a group, you need to get in a group, but if somehow you missed your group, you still have to do your what? Homework. Okay, there isn't a lot of passage I ha- gave you this week, but here's extra credit. All the cross-references that we're not going to get to in depth, you need to re- look them up again, all right? In Isaiah chapter 53, which is the Old Testament picture of Jesus coming, it says this of him, and I'm just gonna highlight it. It says, the one who's coming, there's gonna be no stately form or majesty about him. That we should look upon him with his appearance, his appearance, that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing about Jesus that said, whoa, I want to follow that guy. God veiled the glory of Jesus when he came. Philippians chapter 2 says the same thing. That he humbled himself becoming as a man. As an appearance of a man. And so they saw him, you're just like one of us. And if you, that was your conclusion that Jesus is just one of us, why, why, why would you be willing to suffer, sacrifice, surrender? Realize that your life is only going to gain if you lose it? Why, why would you be willing to take shame because of your identification with him? That's ridiculous. Unless beyond that veiled appearance of a man was the living God. Hey, and why did, why did in, the, in the transformation of Jesus, the transfiguration or the metamorphosis of Jesus, was the shining and the clothes become whiter than snow and whiter than any launderer could make the clothes look bright? Well, why is that? Because as you think about the essence of God, God is light. And in him there's no darkness of all, First John 1.5. And actually, there's a passage where I, I, I gave you the wrong reference. It's not Exodus chapter 3, but it's Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. They were to see Jesus beyond the physical. And in 1 Samuel, I think it's 16, it says that, you know, God looks not at the appearance of a man, but what's on the inside, right? And if that is true about looking at us, you know, God is not impressed how, how we look physically, but he is impressed by what's internally. Would you agree with that? That's where real beauty re- resides. And in Exodus chapter 3, uh, 33, excuse me, Moses I, I, I want to see you. Could you pass right before me? He said, well, if I, if I passed all of who I am, it would be so bright you just couldn't handle it. I'll just kind of get you a glimpse of it. And, and It's interesting when he does that, he says, When he unveils himself, what he unveils about himself is his attributes, just two of them, his compassion and his grace. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, there's an interesting (laughs) beginning to the revelation of who Jesus is. and In the first part, I got stumped the first time I, I studied John chapter 1. I, I couldn't get past the first top couple verses because I couldn't figure out who the Word was. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that came into being. I'm going, who is this Word? Well, this Word is who? Jesus. And, and that's explained. That's not just somebody's interpretation. Verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His, what? Glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, really, He had only veiled Himself physically. He had not veiled Himself in a sense what you would call spiritually, because they could see Jesus as full of grace and full of truth. And see, we as his followers, that's how we want to be known, as people who are gracious and truthful as well as compassionate and all the other attributes of God. But we'll never measure up completely to to the level of Jesus. But when he was here, he was full of grace. He was full of truth. Since you're still in John, trip trip over to John chapter 12. And it really kind of speaks about my whole point of this message as we look at this For some of the familiar story, the transfiguration of Jesus. In John chapter 12, look at verse 21. In fact, actually, we could jump up to verse 20. And Jesus with his disciples, you know, they're hanging out, and and the word gets out about about Jesus, and not only did the Jewish people kind of wondering who this guy is, but also the non-Jewish people, the Greeks, uh, Gentiles. Now, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. They were probably God-fearers that were identifying with the Jewish faith Uh, there these then came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and began to ask him saying sir we wish to see who Jesus It's the whole idea of the truth about seeing really seeing Jesus and so they saw his disciples they said well that's great we can we can know a little bit more about Jesus by talking to you but we, we want to get to the source right and that's why we should always think of the Christian life as not, not residing you know, in the, the people you put on the pedestals. But we've got to get to Jesus, right? So we want to really see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? Glorified. Now, inherent in that is statement at that point he had not been glorified, at least unveiled in all of who he is. So people were seeing Jesus there, and they were seeing the manifestations of Jesus, but not in all of his glory because he came actually to die. And then his glory would become manifest at the resurrection. So what's the simple point this morning? The simple point this morning is, Jesus knew that when things went wrong as they were to see it, and what did they do at the cross? The disciples did what? They ran. And wh- why did they run? Jesus had told them this was going to happen because they still hadn't seen Jesus as he really is in all of his glory. And what we need to do is just recognize that that's, what, that's what God wants us to see in his son. That he is the glorious one. In the Old Testament, w- whenever they went to a place of worship, the tabernacle, and we went through the book of Exodus, Matt led us through that. And I want to urge you now, in the middle of this week, we're going to go into Colossians. And there's a great reference I could have used in this message today, Colossians chapter 1, 15-20, which again speaks about who Jesus truly is is that when they built the tabernacle, and as God led his people, it, it, it said that the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle, the place of worship. Now, Jesus, but God is everywhere, but he, he will manifest himself in demonstrative ways in certain locations, and and, and now he, he resides in our temple, and we are to be the manifestation of who God really is, but... But some of you might have heard that phrase, the Shekinah glory. Have anybody heard that phrase, Shekinah glory? Raise your hand like you saw that. You know, I, I, this is an embarrassing thing. I always, I always wonder what, what Hebrew word that was in the text. And then I, I said, you know, I've never looked that up. I've heard it, I was going to say millions of times, but that would be a little bit evangelistic. Okay, Is that I, I've heard it hundreds of times. You know the word Shekinah is never in the Bible? I thought it was just some special word describing the presence of God. It simply means the dwelling of God. And wherever God is, His glory can manifest itself. And what His glory is is the, is the attributes of who He really is. And the ones that's identified, particularly with Jesus, at the very beginning, is compassionate and gracious and truthful. We need to see Jesus as He really is, and we need to see Him in His glory. But let's go back to Luke chapter 9, and we won't go as long on the other passages or other points. In, in Luke chapter 9, the, the, the event continues. And this was, again, the, the context of this text is they got the right answer, but he wanted to make sure they really knew they had the right answer. Because they could go back, I, I see Jesus. He, he, he's not that impressive. And that was for a purpose, because he didn't want people to, to be attracted just because of his physical presence. And so I said I'm going to give you the privilege of seeing me and as I really am and so he was transfigured before them. But some other people showed up. And behold two men were talking with him. This is Jesus and they were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And that's kind of code language. Simply say, you know, what you told the disciples that you were going to go to Jerusalem and actually die. They were talking about that because that's when he would really unveil himself as he truly is. And, and Moses and Elijah were confirming this. Now, now, Peter's companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. I just want to stop there for a moment. I want to make a very simple point. It's interesting in the story, and he didn't have to have Moses and Elijah show up, but he did, and there must have been a purpose why he did it. So I want to talk about why I think the purpose was: is that as you think about Jesus, you want to you want to see Jesus not only His glory, but you want to see Jesus in relationship with others. Uh, Often we can get. (laughs) I'm going to sound like a you know, this is not you've heard the phrase street cred or you heard about you know you can be magnified by certain associations with people if you know somebody you can drop yeah you know, why do people drop names you know they, you know i, I oh, just by the way i was with the president you know last week or of course if you don't like the president that's not a good name to drop it you know or i was with some other person that you think is significant and if, if you know them personally all of a sudden just because that person is important you now are what important is that true Okay, you, you, know, if you, if you know, if you know important people, it make, makes you important. So Moses and Elijah show up, and, and those, pretty, those are pretty important people in the Old Testament, right? You know, Moses was the lawgiver. I mean, he, in some ways, he was considered the greatest leader the, the Israelites ever had. He brought them out of slavery and set them free. I mean, he was, the, he was the one God spoke to face-to-face. He had a kind of a tr- transformation experience where, where when he was in the presence of God, his face would shine, and he put a veil over that so the people didn't get overwhelmed and intimidated. And so he was the lawgiver. And then Elijah, he was, he was the greatest prophet. As some people describe him. God, uh, when, when God was finished with him, he, he's, he passed death and went straight up to heaven. You look at Ezekiel. You know, so these were pretty prominent people. And when, when Jesus is going to unveil who he really is, he brings out the two two of, uh, you know, at least the top five most significant people in the Old Testament. And he says, and, and he's there with him. And he's confirming what he had already said. You could also look at John chapter 8, which we're not going to look at. Uh, Jesus had an encounter with the disciples, with uh, the people who are doubting who he really is. And he said, I, I just want you to know I'm greater than, or they asked, are you greater than Abraham? I mean, that was the father of the nation of Israel. And he said, Oh, by the way, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, Abraham just came on the scene. I brought him on the scene, but, but I was before he was. So as you think about Jesus in, in relationship with others, there's no comparison, is there? Because he's above every one of them. There, there is no one like Jesus. And, and so as we, as we see Jesus as he really is, we need to see him in his glory, which is it, it's a, it's a concept that's almost mind-boggling. How do you see the, all the manifest qualities who who God is, and yet that's who Jesus is? And to me, one of the more convincing things of why I believe Jesus is who we claim to be, if, if God did become a man, he would be just like who? Jesus. And, and then as you take it by way of comparison, his relationship with others, he's greater than anyone who's ever lived here on this planet. Now, Peter shows up, and we're going to see that in a moment, and he didn't quite get it, you know, and so at least it doesn't look like it in the text. Look at verse 33, and as they were leaving him, Peter said to, to, to Jesus, Master, it, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and, and one for Moses and, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. You know, c- can I say this to all of us, and I was, I've been reading, well, I read things all the time, but I was reading the book of Proverbs where there are many words Transgression is unavoidable, which simply means this. The more I talk, the more likelihood I'm going to say something I shouldn't have said. Okay? And, and Peter was like that, wasn't he? You know, he, he, he? He moved his mouth before he moved his mind. And so he this is so awesome. Let's just stay up here. Let's build a few tents and we'll just, you know, let, let's honor you and we'll just hang out. But he missed seeing Jesus. And we're going to see that because as soon as he says that, those other two take off, Okay? They just take off because there is no comparison. Or to put it in a positive way, as we think about seeing Jesus as He really is, we need to see Jesus not only in His glory, in His relationship with others, we need to see Jesus in His uniqueness. When I was a young guy, and um, involved in a variety of different types of ministries, one of of the things I would do with people that, that I knew and were friends and it was in a setting where it worked real well, is, is I would lead Bible studies in which the, the the topic, the the printed material was on the uniqueness of Jesus. And that's all we that's all we study. I so said, look at you have got questions about Jesus. Well, let's just look at Jesus and see if he is unique. And of course, that that's one of the reasons, again, why you ought to consider that Jesus really is what we claim to be, because who is like him? Not only in comparison with others, but everything else. Look what Hebrews you know, says about Jesus, Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, he's going to be everything, he owns everything, through whom also he made the world, he's so unique, not only does he own everything, everything is really his, but also he created everything. Oh, and he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. Oh, and by the way, he upholds all things by the word of his power. So everything not only was made by him, everything is sustained by him. And it's not something that he reflects someone else's glory, like the moon reflects the the sun. He radiates from whom he is because he's the exact representation of God because he is God. That's a rather unique description of someone, right? Jesus is fully unique. I was asked this week, and I just threw the reference in John chapter 3, verse 16, you know, the more, most familiar verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son. What in the world does that mean? Well, it's a, it's... It's one of those words that's it's hard to define and describe in, in one way. It's monogonese, but in the Greek, but it simply means he's the only unique one of the, of the Father. That's really the idea there. <laughs> he, he sent his, the, the unique one because he's, he's God. He's God the Son. And so as we think about Jesus, he is fully the unique one. He is. There is no one like him. And Peter didn't quite get in, so he's trying to stay up to the mountain and put them all at equal plane, but that didn't happen because Moses and Elijah weren't like Jesus. Verse 34. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they, as they entered the cloud because now all of a sudden God shows up in another manifestation of him. And remember when the people of Israel got out of Exodus and they were led by a cloud by day and a fire by night and and when the manifest, manifest presence of god showed up there was not only reverence and worship and and rejoicing but there was fear because god is so much bigger than we are and much more powerful and, and when peter had said these things and he this time he didn't get the right answer got the wrong answer God shows up and overwhelms them. And then verse 35 says this. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And then this is the challenge. Listen to him. Now, whenever we receive counsel from anybody that has normal skin on like all of us here today, we have to realize that they're fallible. You know, people can give you advice, and that advice sometimes is good and sometimes it's what? bad. And so you need to listen to it, but after you listen, you have to discern it. And that's true throughout throughout Scripture. You know, the Apostle Paul was inspired by God and wrote Scripture. But in Acts chapter 17, we know that that there were a group of people that were praised because after he taught, it says they're more noble-minded than the rest of them because after he taught, they said, I want to make sure what he said was true. So they compared what he said with what other Scripture said. And they found it was exactly the same. And so when Jesus speaks and we have his words recorded for us, we need to listen to him. And whenever we listen to him, we know that what he tells us is true. And so God the Father shows up and again says, look, at this one that you said is the Christ of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, you got the right answer. And just like at his baptism, at the transfiguration of Jesus, God the Father shows up, speaks out. Audibly. This was not some still small voice. This was God. And I don't know if he had a James Earl Jones voice or Charles and Hessian voice or, or Morgan Freeman voice or whatever, but it was obvious. This was God speaking. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which Jesus had done. Now, what do we learn from that? Let me. Let me just make reference to this. When God the Father said, listen to my son, my chosen one, listen to him. I already alluded to that when Jesus speaks, he always speaks truth. Sometimes he speaks truth that we don't want to hear. He says, truthfully, this is the truth. But, but we need to see this, that when Jesus speaks, he has the power and authority to speak. And really... If we were to look at Daniel chapter 7, we looked at that briefly last week, that he is the, the Son of Man, and that was Jesus' favorite self-description of self. He's the Son of Man, which, uh, which was prophesied in the Old Testament about the one who would have dominion over everything, an everlasting kingdom. In, in, in Matthew chapter 25, when he comes, he will come in power and authority. He not only has the right to say what he says, he has the power to say what he says. And, and when I said in the very beginning, you know, Christianity, it, to some degree, is, is, is found tried but wanting for some people. And the reason it's wanting for them, they, they didn't get what they thought they were going to get because they didn't realize that Jesus, if you really follow him, he has the power and authority to tell you how to live. And, and when you live like Jesus wants you to live because by faith you really believe he's so awesome. He's so awesome. Why wouldn't I want to follow him? It's not a guilt trip of saying, Look, he is the amazing one, full of grace and truth and compassion, knows what's best for me. Well, then I I follow him because he's not only one I'd want to follow, but in case I have periods of doubt, because of his power and authority, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. and follow me. The only reason you would do it if you could see Jesus and his glory and his, his relation to others and his uniqueness. And that he does have the power and authority to speak into our lives. I've already used up too much time this morning, but let me just write to so what you can look up these passages. If we, if we really see Jesus as he really is, will this change how we live? It would have to. Romans 12, 1 and 2, a familiar passage for me. Uh, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the goodness of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, you can only be a martyr once in life, but he wants us to keep on living for him, but be willing to suffer him, but to live for him. And don't be conformed to this world, don't be like everybody, but be transformed. Same word that's used in transfiguration. Be, be metamorphosized. How? By the renewing of your mind. Take the word of God and allow it to just to change how you think and your values and how you want to live. And then in 2 uh, Corinthians 3.18, it says this look at that, that we are changed from the Spirit by the Spirit as we, as we look at the glory of Jesus. And when we see Him as He really is, we are transferred from one image to another image. The more we see Jesus every day, it makes us dissatisfied with who we are and what God wants us to be. And that's not a guilt trip. That's an opportunity to live fully and faithfully for him. In a moment, we're going to invite you to take communion. And first of all, if you don't know the Lord, this is the greatest time, which is now, to make that step. To say, Jesus, I want to know you. There's there's things in my life that need to change. I I want want to change. Will you forgive me my sin and lead my life? I want you to be my Lord and Savior, the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. And that's the first step. And and then every step after that, I want to continue to see you daily as you really are. And the communion table gives you an opportunity to remember what he's done and what he promises to do when you walk with him. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be a people that see you as you really are. It's so humbling how we forget that which is so fundamental and foundational and basic, and yet, if we're not remembering who you are, then what's the point? Help us to have this be a mountaintop experience that continues because we simply have the privilege of each day looking in your face and seeing you in awe of who you are. Help us to live for you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.